Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise and Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules, and let's start with a poisoning out of North Dakota that has an inheritance scam angle that led to the death, but the money was never really there. 51-year-old Stephen Edward Riley and his 47-year-old girlfriend, Ina Thea Knoyer, had been living together for 10 years in Minot, North Dakota. And it wasn't great times for the two. Stephen worked construction, and according to one of Stephen's two adult sons, Ina didn't do much of anything. Now, throughout the 10-year relationship, Ina would use Facebook to lash out about her difficulties in the relationship. In a 2021 Facebook post, Ina wrote, I hope you get what you deserve. And then she called him the F word. Then in another post, she warned her very small friend circle on Facebook that they should, quote, watch out for this man. He'll bleed you dry and spit you out. Then in a different Facebook post, she shared a picture of Stephen and wrote, I wish I was worried about this man. Well, really sounds like a loving and warm relationship between the two. In the summer of 2023, Stephen was receiving emails from someone claiming that he was set to inherit $30 million from a distant relative who had recently passed away. And the sender of the emails had convinced Stephen that the money was legitimate and that all he needed to do was arrive at the Minot Airport on September 3rd and he would sign some documents and then money would be handed over to him. He had told his sons that he planned on using the money to open up his own automotive shop. He also wanted to buy land and break that land into parcels that he would share with his two sons. But according to reporting by the New York Post, he didn't plan on sharing the money with Ina. His son said he was planning on breaking up with Ina and just hadn't carried through with the ending of the relationship quite yet. Well, on that morning of September 3rd, Stephen starts to become ill as he's driving to the airport with Ina and a couple of his friends. And as he's waiting at the airport, he's getting sicker physically, but he is also now understanding the disappointment of being scammed. There was no lawyer who was going to meet him to sign off on the cash. There was no $30 million inheritance. There was no future automotive shop or acres of land. So when he returned home, his physical ailments just got worse. And Ina didn't rush him to the hospital or call for help. Instead, for the next 24 hours, she left Stephen physically ill in bed, getting worse as each hour ticked on. And she just kept telling those who checked in on Stephen that he had heat stroke and he just needed to rest. Well, finally, on the afternoon of the 4th, Ina decides to call 911. When paramedics arrived at the home, Stephen was unresponsive. He was transported to the local hospital, but then transferred to a more acute care hospital in Bismarck, North Dakota. And all of this is in an effort to save his life. But Stephen died the next day. Ina had told authorities that Stephen said he had heat stroke and that he had also been drinking heavily. Well, authorities performed an autopsy because... Ina's claim of heat stroke was just not checking out. The autopsy found that Stephen died of poisoning from ethylene glycol. So that's the main chemical used to make antifreeze. And the autopsy also found zero traces of alcohol in Stephen's system. So none of Ina's story is actually checking out with the autopsy that was performed. Then investigators had pressed Ina about what Stephen had ingested the day he fell ill, trying to figure out how did he get poisoned. Well, Ina admitted that she had served Stephen sweet tea that very morning. 
Well, this sent up red flags for investigators because sweet beverages can hide the taste of certain poisons. Well, police then went on and they secured a search warrant for the home where they found a Windex bottle filled with antifreeze, but the spray mechanism is not on there. It's just gone like you could pour the antifreeze out of the Windex bottle. Then they also found a beer bottle and a plastic mug in the garage that are both suspected of containing antifreeze. And according to investigators, over the days following the unexpected death, friends of Stephen came forward saying they suspected Ina had poisoned Stephen with antifreeze, saying she had made comments before and after his death referencing the chemical. Those friends also told investigators that Ina believed she would receive half the $30 million inheritance. She would reference herself as Stephen's common-law wife. But here's the problem. Ina didn't know the law. North Dakota does not recognize common-law marriage. So if there had really been an inheritance, she wouldn't have been entitled by law to any of it. Authorities now claim that when Ina was told that she would have not been entitled to the money, she became incensed. Now, the same friends also told investigators that Ina began cleaning out Stephen's belongings the very next day after his death. Now, I'm not going to show up here and tell people how to grieve, but I am going to point out inconsistencies in people's behavior. And according to Stephen's son, Ryan, Ina's not a cleaner. When he rushed to North Dakota from his military base in Texas, he said the home was a disaster. He told the Post that there was dog waste almost everywhere, that dirty clothes were scattered throughout the home, as well as trash. And his exact words were, it was very nasty conditions. So if this is the way she chooses to live, and whatever, no judgment, but if this is the way she chooses to live... Doesn't it seem weird that she would start cleaning out his belongings the day after his death when there is plenty of other stuff needing cleaned? Well, nearly two months after Stephen's death, Ina was arrested by Minot Police on October 30th. She is charged with Class AA felony murder for allegedly poisoning Stephen, which resulted in his death. Now, this is the most severe murder charge in the state of North Dakota. She's being held in the Ward County Jail on a $1 million bond. And another twist, she is currently representing herself in the legal process. Now, her next court appearance is scheduled for December 7th. And if she's convicted of the current charges, she could face life without parole. All right, you guys, I really couldn't find much on Stephen. His son, Ryan, told The Post that he was gentle and a kind man who would always help his friends. And I do hope when I bring you an update on this case that Stephen will have been more honored in the process. And then hopefully I can share that with you. All right, should we keep the theme going? Let's review another poisoning case, this one out of Minnesota, but it's got a different flavor than our first case. This one involves a poison expert and who could be better trained at poisoning someone than a poison expert. Well, 30-year-old Connor Bowman and 32-year-old Betty Bowman married two and a half years ago, and the pair seemed like an obvious union. Betty received her Doctor of Pharmacy degree from the University of Kansas in 2017. She was a pharmacist at the prestigious Mayo Clinic, where she worked specifically in the operating room. 
And Connor was attending the University of Kansas School of Medicine in Wichita, but was working at the Mayo Clinic during his residency. His focus at the Mayo Clinic was working as a poison specialist. He would field calls about poisons, which required him to use computers at the clinic. Now, both Connor and Betty are young and healthy. They're active in their jobs and community. Betty was particularly active in the LGBTQ community, advocating for equality. And Jason Harold, he's a pharmacist at the Mayo Clinic. He initially trained Betty when she came to work there in 2021. Now, he told AOL that she was everything you wanted in an employee. She was sharp, smart, very reliable, and hardworking. He said coworkers especially loved working with Betty because she was so pleasant and knowledgeable. Well, on the night of August 15th, Betty was texting with a male friend. She told this friend her and Connor were spending the night at home drinking. And her friend didn't hear from her again until the next morning when she texted back saying she was sick. She had drank a large smoothie and she said she felt like maybe something was wrong with the ingredients because that is when she started feeling ill. Now, her symptoms of what she thought was food poisoning persisted for the next 24 hours. And on August 16th, she was admitted to the hospital with severe gastrointestinal distress and dehydration. Her symptoms worsened over the next four days. Her heart was failing. Her lungs had filled up with fluid. And doctors actually removed part of her colon in an attempt to save her life. Well, despite the efforts... She died on August 20th. Connor was incredibly active in his wife's health care. I mean, he could be. He's a resident at the hospital, and his wife had actually given permission for him to be involved in the care. This permission allowed for Connor to retrieve any information from her electronic medical file. And I want you to just kind of tuck that bit of knowledge away for a minute. Now, Betty's friends, they were shocked by her death. She wasn't ill. She was a vibrant 32-year-old. But that isn't the picture that Connor was painting for people. He told people that Betty was suffering from a rare illness called hemophagocytic lymphohistocytosis. That damages a person's organs. And I feel like I need an award for saying that correctly. And maybe I didn't even say it correctly. Correct me if I'm wrong. But people with that diagnosis, their internal organs start to suffer. But here's the weird thing. Testing at the hospital didn't show this as a disease that Betty had. But that didn't stop Connor from listing her cause of death in her obituary as an autoimmune disease and then actually explaining the disease. Now, the days following her death are filled with conflict. These people work at the hospital together. So talk around the hospital is happening. The medical examiner's office is alerted by one of Corey's friends that the death might be suspicious. So... An autopsy was ordered, but Connor, he tried to cancel the autopsy, asking that she be cremated immediately, saying his wife would have never wanted to be a cadaver. But the medical examiner's office, they denied that request. And Connor, he was talking at the hospital too. He was questioning lab results to anybody who would listen. And he was also saying they were not accurate in things that they did with his wife's care. And he also questioned the timeline of the toxicology during the autopsy. And as more talk started to happen around the hospital, a coworker alerted the authorities that Connor and Betty were having marital issues. That coworker said the difficulties had risen to a place where the two were actually discussing divorce. 
mostly because Connor had been unfaithful in the marriage, which led to the deterioration of the relationship. This is at least according to that coworker. And money also seemed to be playing an issue in the marriage failure. The two had separate bank accounts because, according to friends, Connor's debt was sizable, and that was causing difficulties between the two. And then there was even more talk going on where witnesses had told authorities that Connor would be the beneficiary of a $500,000 life insurance policy following Betty's death. Now, investigators, they just kick it into high gear after hearing all of this. They obtained a warrant for Connor's computer, and during that forensic search, they discovered that Connor had searched for information about colchicine. Okay, that's a drug that's used to treat inflammation in the body. And it's most often prescribed for gout. So gout is when your joints flare up with inflammation and then you just suffer some severe pain from that. And the colchicine will ease that pain. Well, there's a side note here that I need to tell you guys about. I'm actually currently taking colchicine for pericarditis. So pericarditis is inflammation around my heart and the colchicine will lessen that inflammation and then I won't have the pain in my chest that I've been experiencing. So I'm just going to tell you, it's a very common prescribed drug. And I'll verify, when taken at the appropriate dosage, and mostly when it's taken with food, there's very little side effects. Well, toxicology reports showed Betty had colchicine in her system when she died. But here's the crazy part about Connor's search. Connor didn't just search about the drug six days before his wife became ill. He searched the lethal dosage of the drug. His search was so specific that he used his wife's exact weight in kilos, and then he multiplied that by 0.8. And the reason he used that is because that's the lethal dosage of colchicine. Now, authorities believe he was figuring out how much liquid colchicine to administer to his wife. And remember, Betty told friends she thought she got sick after drinking alcohol with her husband and after drinking a smoothie for breakfast. Well, Connor searched for more than information about lethal dosages of that drug. He also searched about hiding information from the police. His specific search was about whether internet browsing histories can be used in court, and also if law enforcement can track package deliveries. So maybe like package deliveries of drugs? And he also searched where to buy sodium nitrate. That's a chemical used to restrict oxygen in the blood. And then police also found that Connor was still accessing his wife's medical records following her death. That is actually illegal because his portion of the healthcare team should not have extended past her death. Now, I'm going to be objective here. It's his wife. I would want to know what was going on with my husband's autopsy if he died mysteriously, but it's not legal for him to do so. And it wouldn't be legal for any of us to do that either. And of course, authorities are going to find him searching the autopsy results suspicious because they're combining that with the internet searches and his demand for immediate cremation and also the drugs that are present in his wife's system. And that autopsy that he was trying to search, well, it showed that Betty died from a lethal dose of colchicine, which caused a toxic result in her body, shutting down all of her organs. All right, there's one more thing. During that search warrant, police found a bank deposit slip for Connor's account for $450,000. It does appear he collected on his wife's insurance policy very quickly. Now, investigators felt like they had plenty of evidence, and they arrested Connor during a traffic stop in Rochester, Minnesota, on October 20th. 
That's exactly one month after his wife's death. Then, that following Monday, he was charged with second-degree murder. And at first, I was a little confused by this charge. It seems like the charge should have been first-degree murder, right? I think it meets up to that level. Well, it might be first-degree murder. In my research, I learned that in Minnesota, first-degree murder charges can only be brought by a grand jury, which will possibly happen here in this next few weeks in this case. So for now, they are charging him with the lesser second degree to basically get the ball rolling. And if a grand jury does indict him on first degree murder, and if he is found guilty, he could receive life in prison. His bail has been set at $2 million with conditions including GPS monitoring. Now, the family released a statement about Betty that said the following, Betty's love was boundless, and it extended far beyond the confines of family and friends. Her warm smile, kind words, and caring actions left an indelible mark on our hearts. She embraced each day with enthusiasm and joy. One of Betty's greatest strengths was her unwavering love, forgiveness, and support for those she cared about. Well, I also want to tell you about one of the tributes left on her obituary page. On the condolence page, someone wrote, You always showed me kindness on such a personal level, even when things were complicated. You personalized our chat with lime green and dolphins because you knew they were my favorite. We bonded over stitch and land before time. And I always felt confident in myself, flaws and all, whenever we hung out together. And then the friend added this detail, which I think explains Betty perfectly. You were also one of my biggest supporters when I initially fell sick. Your validation and kind heart meant so much to me as I struggled mentally to be at peace with my chronic illness. You let me stay with you and Connor while I sought answers at Mayo. You guys, I think it's truly a gift to be a friend like that. Today, that's what I'm going to take away from Betty's murder. I'm going to try to be a better friend like Betty was. Now, more information is obviously going to be coming out about this case, and I'll let you know when I know. And one more poisoning, except this one, it's just an update. All right, remember the case out of Utah, where Corey Richens is being accused of killing her husband, Eric, by poisoning his Moscow Mule cocktail with fentanyl. And then Corey held a celebration the day after Eric's death because she had just closed on a large real estate deal. And then she got in a physical altercation with Eric's sister when she realized Eric had removed her from his trust. And then she went on to write a children's book about grief based on her own children dealing with the death of their father. Okay, I hope all of those details help you remember this case. Well, in court last week, a judge denied a motion to dismiss the murder charges. Her defense attorneys felt that the charges should be dropped because the prosecutors in the case potentially irreparably harmed Corey's right to a fair trial. Now, her defense says when the prosecutors released the walk the dog letter to the media, that the jury pool became tainted for Corey. And I'm going to guess you guys are asking right now, what's the walk the dog letter? Well, it's a letter written to Corey's mom that prosecutors say encourages witness tampering involving Corey's brother. See, in the letter, she appears to ask her brother to lie for her. And her mother is supposed to encourage the lie by telling Corey's brother what to say, all because of this being included in the letter. Now, Corey claims that prosecutors misinterpreted the letter. 
She says it's just part of a fictional novel that she's writing while awaiting trial. Well, the judge in the case reassured the defense that a fair trial process would be followed and that an impartial jury pool could be successfully seated. He said if needed, they would increase the amount of potential jurors in order to seat an impartial jury. He also explained that even the BBC is covering this high-profile case, so you just can't outrun the media coverage. They will just take steps to navigate the process successfully. And the judge did side with the defense on one item during last week's hearing. He said Corey could continue communicating with her mother and brother despite the potential witness tampering in the walk the dog letter. Now, the judge did deny a gag order that the defense was requesting. He also assigned a third-party attorney to review the letter and a bunch of other documents that were found in Corey's cell. This in order to determine if the attorney-client privilege was infringed by the state having all of these documents. Now, Corey's attorney did say in court Friday that she does intend to file a change of venue for the trial, and she'll do that eventually on down the road. And that trial, it's not going to be happening anytime soon. So I'll keep you updated on any further info that comes out. And like I always say, you'll know when I know. And then lastly today, I'm following closely the murder of Mo Wilson, the competitive cyclist who died in Texas. Now that trial of Caitlin Armstrong, who is accused of shooting Mo over jealousy, it's happening right now. And I covered this case a couple of weeks back when Caitlin tried to escape from authorities when she was away from the correctional facility visiting a doctor's office for a made-up injury. So if you want to go back and listen to that to kind of catch up, you can. But I am really following this trial closely. And as soon as there's a verdict, I will let you know. All right, you guys, that's your Monday episode of Rise and Crime. Just give us a follow on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And along with that follow or like, give us a thumbs up on the YouTube episode. I would love to get that generating more. We're part of Oh No Media, so if you haven't checked out Murder With My Husband or Binged, make sure you give those podcasts a listen as well. And you can join me again on Thursday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules, and keep safe out there. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit